Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, August 27th, 2022, and we are broadcasting live from Jefferson Park on Chicago's northwest side. We're glad you can be with us. My name is David Canfield, and I'll be the host for this hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions about this program or about the Christian life in general, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. And if you want to listen to past editions of this program, you can do that via the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can find on iTunes or Spotify, or go to the website, again, that's thechristianfaith.org, and click on the media tab, and you'll find the podcast link under that tab. And so this morning, uh, we want to cover a very, very great topic uh, in the Bible, and frankly, a, a, a question that a lot of people have, which is very simply, why do I exist? What's the meaning of my existence? Uh, why am I here? Why are any of us here? Uh, is, there, is, there, is there a purpose for my life? And the reason we want to cover this topic this morning is this past week I put together a video that kind of dealt with this topic. It's just a very short video. It's only three minutes long. It's called The Parable of the Four Bottles. And like the, the, the title suggests, in the video we use these four bottles to explain the meaning of life, what our life is really all about. And I should probably say that the reason why I made the video was, uh, as I've mentioned uh, in recent programs, uh, we've been going to some city festivals here in Chicago, and we use this analogy at the festivals. We have our table set up and the bottles around the table. Uh, and, you know, it's our, it's our hook, uh, really, to get people to come over to the booth. You know, I'll, 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 they're going by, and I always say to them, hey, come on, let me let me show you what these bottles are about. And it's a pretty effective way, we found, to present uh, and explain what the meaning of our life is according to the Bible. And so for a long time, I wanted to make a video about it, and I finally did that this past week. And again, it's called The Parable of the Four Bottles. And you can see that. Just go to uh, the website I created for that. It's just fourbottles.org. Fourbottles.org. And uh, it has to be .org. The, the other ones are taken by other uh, websites. But the .org one, will you, you can see the video there. And again, it's only three minutes long. And uh, if you're watching this on a, or listening to this rather on the podcast, you may want to uh, pause the video Pause the podcast here and watch the video. Video. We'll have a link to the website in the program description. But I can just describe it uh, very briefly because, as I say, it's a very simple analogy. So we have these four bottles, and uh, they're all labeled orange cream soda. And the first bottle is an empty bottle. And the second one is, is filled up with all kinds of mud and dirt and junk and uh, covered with mud on the outside as well. And that's a fun one. A lot of, at the festivals, a lot of kids will run over and say, hey, what's the dirty bottle about? And so, uh, but the third bottle is a clean bottle. It's one that you've gotten rid of all that stuff. And the fourth bottle is one that's filled up with the orange cream soda. And so when we explain it that way, I think you can get an idea of, of where we're going with this analogy, uh, which is the first bottle shows what we were created for. Uh, we say, like I say when we're in the video, just like this bottle was created to contain the soda, we were created to contain God's divine life. That's why we exist. God made us in a very particular way uh, to contain his divine life. The problem is, as the second bottle 
portrays, we became fallen and sinful. And because we're in this condition, God cannot put himself into us. He can't give his life to us when we're in this fallen situation because he's a holy God. He won't do that. He has to deal with that situation. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, so we could be forgiven and cleansed. That's the third bottle. But not only that, not only forgiven and cleansed, but once we're cleansed and forgiven, he gives us his divine life. So now, just like this bottle's fulfilling its purpose because it has a soda, now we're fulfilling our purpose because we have the divine life that God's always wanted to give us. And so that, in, in, a, in a very brief way, that's, that's basically what the, the parable or the, or the analogy is talking about. But you can see it's conveying some pretty profound concepts in a very simple way. And so this morning what we wanted to do is really uh, develop those uh, concepts in a, in a little more thorough way than we do in the, in the three-minute video because it's very short. Um, and again, if you want to see that video, it's at fourbottles.org. And I encourage you, encourage you to, to go out and watch it. But in the, in the podcast here, like I say, in the, in the program here this morning, we want to really develop this, some of these concepts, and especially, to be honest, the concept of this first bottle. Because if we're clear about that, uh, that, that answers the question, why were we created? Why do we exist? So we want to spend some time really focusing on that. You know, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it, it talks about how God created us. He created us in a very special way. I'll just uh, read that verse. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So here we see the creation of man. In, in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about how we were created in a general way. We were created in the image and likeness of God, according to those verses, Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. But here it's showing us very specifically how God created us. He created us. First, he formed us from the dust of the ground. He formed us from the dust of the ground. And then it says he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And that word breath there in Hebrew, it's the same word as spirit. So you could translate that verse, he breathed into our nostrils the spirit of life. That's also a valid way of translating that. And as a result of that, according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, man became a living soul. So that explains the creation of man. We are a living soul. We have a body outwardly, but we also have a spirit inwardly. And it's our human spirit that really makes us special before God because it's our human spirit that gives us the capacity to receive God's divine life. No other being has that capacity, not even angels. The Bible tells us that angels are spirits in the book of Hebrews, but uh, it doesn't say that they have a spirit for receiving the God's divine life. But we do. That's what makes human beings so special. When we're doing, whenever we're doing this presentation at the festivals, especially with young people, I always stress to them, when I'm talking about this bottle, I tell them, don't ever let anybody tell you you're not special. You are very, very special among all of God's creatures. And don't ever think you don't, your life doesn't have a purpose. It has a real purpose because you have the ability, the capacity to receive God's divine life and no other creature of God has that capacity. When you receive God's divine life, you become a child of God. 
And that makes you unique among all of God's creatures, because all of God's creatures, because only you have that capacity. You know, John uh, chapter 3, verse 6, when Jesus is talking about the new birth, he says, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So when we're regenerated with the divine life, that means the divine life enters into our spirit. And that's what it means to be born anew. So we have the capacity to receive God's divine life because we have a spirit. And that's why we're, why God created us in the way that he did. Romans 9.23 is another very crucial verse. It says that those of us who are believers in Christ are vessels of mercy prepared unto glory. From God's standpoint, we are vessels. We are vessels to contain something. He wants to put something into us. And I think so many people had just have a, who haven't had the experience yet of being born again have a sense that they're empty inside and they are missing something. They just don't know what their life is about. Well, that's right. You are missing something because you haven't yet received that life you were created to have, the life God wants to give you. You're a vessel, but right now you're an empty vessel. And so we always encourage people, open your heart. And we do this in the video as well. Open your heart and receive the divine life and allow God to fill up that emptiness that's within you. And then you'll know the meaning of your existence. And, and so that's what, that's what we see in, in that first bottle, that empty bottle. It's, uh, it's clean. It, it's, it's not fallen. It's not corrupt, but it's still empty. But it's created for a very specific purpose of receiving God's divine life. So in the Bible, what we see is from the very beginning, the way God ordained to give us his life is by presenting himself to us as the tree of life. So we would partake of the tree of life and he would come into us in that way and thus we would see, we would receive God's divine life. You know, everybody knows that in the Garden of Eden, you had the tree of knowledge, right? Because that's the tree we live by today. We live by the tree of knowledge. But there was another tree in the garden. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there were two trees in the garden. It wasn't just the one tree. It wasn't that just God created this one tree and the tree of knowledge and I don't want you to partake of that. He had a positive purpose as well. He wanted us to partake of the tree of life. That's in Genesis uh, chapter 2, 16. He says, uh, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So he, he, there was one tree God did not want man to partake of. That was the tree of knowledge. And of course we fell because we partook of that tree of knowledge. But he commanded the man, I want you to eat of every other tree, including this tree of life. I want you to have my divine life. And after the fall, it was only after the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, he goes on, he says, uh, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Now lest he uh, put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, God sent him out of the garden and he placed cherubim to guard the, uh, with a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That's Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. So only then was the way to the tree of life closed after the fall. But God's hope, his intention in creating us was that we would partake of the tree of life. And actually, when you go all the way to the end of the Bible, in Genesis, uh, Revelation 21, uh, sorry, Revelation 22 
verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have right to the tree of life. So the tree of life is there at the beginning of the Bible. It's there at the end of the Bible also. It shows what God really wants for us. He wants us to partake of the tree of life. Well, how do we do that? Is there was a man in the middle of the Bible who came and he said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That's John 10, 10. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus. How do we partake of this divine life? It's by believing in Jesus Christ, by repenting and taking him as our savior and allowing him to come and fill us with himself. Then we'll know what the purpose of our life really is. Then we'll know what our life is really all about because now we're filled up with the life that God has always wanted us to have. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible, that's what we see. God wants us to have this wonderful life. It's in him. This life is in him. And uh, in John chapter 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then in one four it says, In him was life. So what it's showing us is God, as the Word, wants to communicate this life to man. He wants us to receive this life. That's the consistent message of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. And so when we show this uh, illustration of the empty bottle, that's what we're talking about. As a, as a vessel, you were created to contain and receive this divine life. Praise the Lord for that. And with this divine life, there'll always be a sense of glory. We'll always have a sense we're just in the divine glory. Praise the Lord for that. Um, so that's the first bottle, the uh, the empty bottle. And we aren't going to spend so much time on the on the the other bottles because I think once you see this basic point, the others kind of fall into place. Of course, the dirty bottle shows that we're fallen and corrupt sinners. And uh, because we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we didn't eat of the tree of life. We ate of the wrong tree. Something got inside of us that should never have gotten inside of us. It wasn't just that we disobeyed God. Something got inside of us and poisoned us as far as God is concerned. And we became fallen and sinful. When we're at the fairs, we always uh, stress, you know, I've, you know, the kids come by sometimes. And as I say, this is a very good way to present the gospel to, to children. And uh, to make it a little bit less serious, I'll, I'll ask him. You know, you guys do naughty stuff sometimes, right? And I'll shake my head. And generally speaking, they're all shaking their heads. And if their parents are with them, I'll say, look, you know, you better fess up. Your parents are right here. They know. They know you, right? And they, they all just have to say yes. And that's right. And we all know this. We all do, you know, so to speak, naughty stuff. Well, it's actually a very, very serious situation. It's a very sober matter. And uh, we have to deal with this problem of our sin. But uh, the the point is not simply to deal with our sin. You know, we have this concept that God is just out to get us uh, because we're fallen and sinful. But the real problem from his standpoint is not just that uh, we're sinners. It's that he cannot fulfill his purpose of putting himself inside of us when we're in this fallen situation. He's a holy God and he cannot do that. He cannot uh, mix himself with us while we're in this fallen and corrupt situation. He has to deal with the problem of our sin. Otherwise, there could never be peace in the universe. Uh, in eternity, there could never be peace. You know, some people today, they like that, uh, they have an expression, no justice, no peace. Well, that's really true. It's really, a, uh, it's, it's really the case. Unless there is justice, there can never be peace. 
in the universe, in eternity, unless God deals with everything in an exactly just right way, there could be no peace in the universe. He has to punish sin. Every sin, every, so to speak, injustice has to be fully punished. Now, of course, uh, on the earth today, we have no way because we're fallen and sinful ourselves, we have no way to bring in a just, perfectly just society. You know, we may try to do our best, but you know, we don't succeed very well. But God does. He will. And he, in fact, he's dealing with the situation in the world today in part to deal with all the corruption and prepare the way for his return when there will be perfect justice and perfect righteousness and along with that perfect peace. But he has to deal with the problem of our sins in order to accomplish that. But again, I want to stress, it's not just that God is... Uh, He's angry with us because he sinned. His concern is we cannot become his children as long as we're in that fallen situation. That's really his, from his standpoint, that's the real problem. Yes, our sins are serious. And if we don't deal with the problem of our sins, if we don't separate ourselves from our sins, then we have to spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that's a very, very serious matter. We've, we talked last week about the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. If If we fail to separate ourselves from our sins, then the moment... We die. That very moment, we enter into torment. That's a serious matter. We, and we're warning all our listeners uh, today, don't allow yourself to be in that situation. Open your heart and believe in the Lord today. Because from our standpoint, we have to be very concerned about that, about our, uh, our sins and our, our need to be forgiven and cleansed. But we also need to appreciate it from God's standpoint that he wants to carry out his purpose. And that's why uh, he has to deal with our sins. So how did he do that? How did he deal with the problem of our sins? And that is, and the answer is, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven and cleansed. He had no other way. God has to punish sin. And he, if he just left the sins on us, then we'd have to suffer for those sins for eternity. But because he loves us and because he wouldn't give up on his purpose, he laid our sins on Jesus Christ, who accomplished redemption for us. And I will say, now I want to be clear, this is a kind of a theological point, but I think it's important. And what Jesus Christ accomplished was redemption. It was not an atonement, and we should never refer to it as an atonement. It is actually kind of insulting to refer to that death as an atonement. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices were atoning sacrifices. The word, uh, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament to atone, it, it means to cover. And, and that's the concept. In the Old Testament, the sins were covered. They weren't taken away. But in the New Testament, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't just cover our sins. Our sins are completely taken away when we believe in him. Praise the Lord. That's what he accomplished through his redemption on the cross. But that has to be applied to us. He accomplished redemption on the cross. He already paid the price for our sins, but now that redemption has to be applied to us. When that happens, that happens when we believe in him. We're justified by faith. When we, just, when we believe in Christ and we're justified, then God, that means God considers us as those who are righteous before him. That's... Uh, to be just means that we're considered righteous before God, that uh, he no longer considers us as sinners. He considers us as righteous because the redemption that Christ accomplished on the cross has been applied to our account and our sins have been taken away. And that means that's when we're the clean bottle. 
our, our sins are forgiven and we're washed and cleansed. Uh, and that happens by faith. Uh, uh, Romans 3, 20, uh, 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Uh, verse 24 before that says, we are justified freely by the grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So um, the way to be cleansed and forgiven is by believing in Christ as our Savior. And then the death of Christ is applied to us and we are cleansed and forgiven. But it's not just that we're cleansed and forgiven. Again, the purpose of God is not simply to have the clean bottles. His purpose is to fill us with himself. And that's what we see in the fourth bottle, the bottle that's filled up with the soda. That's, that's what it means to be born anew. To be born anew means we receive a life that we never had before. When we're born the first time, we receive the human life. When we're born anew in Christ, we receive the divine life. And that's what God is really after. He wants to give us his divine life. That's why he cleanses us. He's not after the clean bottles. To just be a clean bottle, you know, is you know, fine. Uh, and I'm, I think it's unfortunate. A lot of Christians seem to have the concept that's what we're supposed to be is the clean bottles. They don't really see, no, God is after something else. He wants to make us his children by giving us his divine life. And that's what that fourth bottle signifies. It signifies we're a person now who has the divine life because we've been born again by faith in Christ. And when we have that life, we're going to realize, now I know what my life is really all about. Now I know why I exist, what I'm really here for. Praise the Lord. Then we're just like that bottle's fulfilling its purpose. We'll realize, now I'm fulfilling the purpose for which I was created. And I have to tell you, as a believer in Christ, my life is so meaningful. I just sense, I, I touch something of glory uh, because I have this divine life. I, I can't tell you my life is always so wonderful outwardly. Uh, you know, uh, in so many ways, I am so blessed and so fortunate. Thank the Lord for that. But the glory that I have and that I experience is because I have this life within me. Praise the Lord for that. And you can have that too by opening your heart to the Lord and believing in him and receiving him as your savior. And you can do that right now. Lord Jesus, I just confess I'm a sinner. Fill me with yourself. Give me this divine life. I want to have your glory within me. I want to be a child of God. I just confess I'm a sinner. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. I just give myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you'll do that. Do that right now and become a child of God, and you'll know what the purpose of your life is really all about. Praise the Lord. So that's, uh, that'll be all for this segment, and uh, we will see you on the other side of the break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at 
questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Now, in this segment, we're doing something a little bit different because we had to record um, the interview with Mark last night. And so this is, we're going to go into that uh, interview for most of the rest of the program, but we're covering this this same topic of the meaning of life and uh, this analogy of the four bottles. And so I, I think it was a good discussion, and uh, I will just play that, and then we'll just... Uh, in the program after uh, after the end of this segment. Welcome, Mark, to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Good to have you Hi, back Dave. on. Yeah, good to talk to you, even uh, even the night before the uh, the program. And uh, yep. we, of course, we were talking earlier today, and this uh, this segment will be plugged into the live program. That's our plan, which will be dealing with the meaning of life. And uh, this past week, I was working on a video uh, illustrating what is the meaning of life, the four bottles, the parable of the four bottles, and that's on fourbottles.org. And that really got got me to thinking about that. And when Mark and I had some fellowship earlier today, I think we were both were very uh, impressed. You know, that's this is a topic we need to consider. So many people are searching today for the meaning of life and what life is really all about. And they just, they're just wondering, where, where, where can I find the meaning of life? Where is it? And so, Mark, I know you had had a lot of thoughts about that, and so I thought I'd maybe just let you go ahead and and um, uh, give us some of your your initial thoughts on that. that great topic. Well, I I enjoyed your video, and I encourage your audience to watch it. Go online and watch it. Amen. It's simple, it's succinct, and it's some analogies are pretty good. This is very good. And I know coming from you, Mark, I appreciate that because I know you really appreciate analogies. So th- thank you. The, and the website, oh, yeah. it, again, it's fourbottles.org. It has to be .org, by the way, because uh, the others are already taken. So fourbottles.org. But thanks, Mark. appreciate that. Yeah. So as Dave has already talked about, I'm pretty sure, based on what he's supposed to talk about tomorrow in his opening, the four-bottle video, let me just say that um, the key point there is that human beings, we're made purposefully, and they have. We all need to see that purpose is we are vessels. We were made as vessels, and we were made to contain something. And on Dave's video, he shows a bottle that says orange cream soda at the beginning, and four four of them actually. They also that label tells you the purpose of the bottle. But step one for a human being to understand why he's on Earth is to realize I'm meant to contain something. And I think people kind of know this deep down, and they seek to fill themselves with all kinds of things because they feel that they are a vessel. So I have uh, I have one friend who just wants to be an intellectual so bad. He fills himself with a lot of uh, intellectual readings, and uh, he knows that that gives him some sense of purpose that he's a vessel for something, ideas, and I know I have other friends, I know one in particular whose whole purpose, he wants to be filled with success in business. And he has a young family, he has four children, and he wants to support them. And it's a beautiful thing what he does. 
but I know that's a big part of, he, he has that sense, I need to fill myself with success. And uh, some people I know want to just party, children so to eat, drink, and be merry. And all these things, but that, they tell you that human beings do know that they were made to contain something. And um, that video you did really, I think, beautifully brings that up. We have a song we sing in our church, the children sing it, and the name of it's Why Was a Cup Made? And this song goes through six different items and asks, why was it made? So the song goes, why was a cup made? Then comes the answer, to have a drink inside it. Right. And then um, why was a shoe made? To have a foot inside it. Why was an envelope made? To have a letter inside it. Why was a glove made? To have a hand inside it. Why was a purse made? To have coins inside it. Why was a flower vase made? To have flowers inside it. Then it asks in the chorus, why were you and I made? And there's the real answer. Why were we? And the question is, why were we made? The flower vase is clear. to contain a flower. And the purse or the wallet is to contain money. Human beings were made to contain God. That is the purpose of man. Amen. And once you see that, that all these other things, which can be good and proper, I think it's good to try to be intellectual. It's good to have success in life. It's good to support your family. But ultimately, we are made to contain the very God who created us. It's a huge thought. It's a revolutionary thought. And to me, your video brings that out. And I think once people see that thought, it starts to change them. I, yeah, it's really unique to the Bible. I don't. There's no other, no religion teaches that, whether it's Islam or Judaism or any of the Eastern religions. So far as I know, that thought that we were made to contain God is yes. it's in the Bible, but it's all through the Bible, beginning with the very at the very start when God put Adam in front of the tree of life. And uh, people forget; they think there's only the tree of knowledge in the garden, but the tree of life was also there. And God said, of every yeah. tree of the garden you may freely eat, but, but not of the tree of knowledge. I think it's Genesis 2, 9. In other words, he wanted man to partake of that tree of life. And, and just the fact, people, everybody, so many people sense there's an emptiness within. It doesn't matter what they have. And uh, Pascal I, yeah. was the one who said, made that famous statement, there's a, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. It's really so. Yes. So we're, just a, we're, we're a vacuum that wants to be filled with God. Right. You know, so. I, I'm a baby boomer, and I grew up in the 60s, and I was in the music, and I just was looking for songs that all deal with this matter of the meaning of life. And what you just said is, reminded me of a song by Peggy Lee. The title is, Is That All There Is? And it's a person who's saying she tried to have this, and then it fell apart. And she had strong love, and then her love left her. Mm. And she, she keeps asking this question, is this all there is? She says, if that's the case, in the song, it's a great song. She says, if that's the case, then let's keep dancing, bring on the booze, have a ball, if that's all there is. Wow. And it's a kind of a hopeless, forlorn song. And that song touches that, that part of man where he says, I know there's something more. And I think the book of Ecclesiastes deals with this. Um, years ago, I had of many insight onto three books in the Bible, which are in sequence, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, it's called. And uh, they are interesting. The sequence is perfect. I think the sequence is dead on perfect. I don't know 
why the early canonizers put them together, but this one's perfect. Proverbs tells you, in large part, how to live this life. And it, it is a little bit tree of knowledge, you know, this is good, this is bad. And it gives you advice. It's Proverbs. That's what a proverb is, right? It's a, it's a life, it's wisdom in life. And if a person follows those Proverbs, I believe they'll live a better life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But following Proverbs comes Ecclesiastes, and it poses the question, and then what? And it asks, is that all there is? Because it was written by, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. I mean, nobody had as much as he did, right? And uh, the kind of wisdom he had, yeah, he was the epitome of that. Yeah, but he's asking this question. In Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he asked earlier, I think in chapter 3, he goes through the famous chapter about um, there's a season for everything. Which which is also a song, right? (laughs) Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a season for war, season right. for peace. A lot of people, if you have a certain point of view, you'll pick up one half but not the other. Mm-hmm. There's a season to build up. Yes, we're all for building up. There's also a season to tear down. Right. And he gives you the seasons, but the ultimate is, it's like, in a way, like the Lion King, it's kind of life is a circle that rolls down the, the road of eternity time, and it's, it's just rolling towards the grave. And so you get to the last part of Ecclesiastes, and it describes the, a person who, di- who gets old. This is in chapter 12. He gets old. You sh- everybody should read it. It's pure poetry. It's the most beautiful portrait of someone dying and going to, to the grave you'll ever read. So the man gets old. He can't even walk down the street without falling over a grass. I just had a knee replacement surgery done, and I can now sympathize with the old man in Ecclesiastes 12 who's afraid a grasshopper lands on him and he might, might cause him to stumble. And this man eventually dies. He goes into the, it says he goes to his long home, which is his coffin. And uh, they put him in the ground, and then it tells in poetic language how the silver bowl breaks, um, the body begins to break down in the soil. Okay, do you want me to read that, Mark, those verses? Yeah, go ahead, read it. Yeah, okay, I'll start, I'll start uh, in verse, uh, uh, this is Ecclesiastes 12, 3. He's talking about, In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle, because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim, and the doors on the street are shut, as the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of a bird, and, the so- and all the daughters of song will... St- Sing softly, or I might say cease in other translations. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of tares on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffected, for man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord, cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Why does it say, why does it end with that? It's just said, it's actually articulating nihilism, this philosophy that there is no meaning. And so why would a book in the Bible, after you just got done with Proverbs, describe the aging and death of a person, the decomposition, the losing of the spirit? This is very interesting. The spirit goes back to God. You know, when Jesus died, he said, into my, thy hands I commit my, my spirit. spirit. And then it says, says later, he gave up his spirit. Mm-hmm. That's when you die. You want the official definition of death? You know, biologists have trouble with this. 
they really do. They don't know what life is. They can't define life, and they can't define death. The Bible does. It's when the spirit leaves the body. And then it says, the, the body goes, it tells you the body goes to the ground to dust. The spirit goes back to God. What happened to the soul? In the Garden of Eden, you had those three components. You had the dust. God formed into a man. He had the spirit, that was the breath of God that went into the man's nostrils. And then it says, a man became a living soul. But in Ecclesiastes 12, we see what happens to the body. And then the spirit goes back to God, and, and the preacher says, a wasted life. Because the soul was gone. It's lost. Hmm. That's perishing. And so I think that's so interesting, following Proverbs. You get this portrait, and so why would the Bible do this? In fact, I, I believe... Uh, both the Jews and Christians found Ecclesiastes as one of the last books canonized, because they are troubled mm. with its message. And, well, to, uh, to be clear, you have to understand it. Ecclesiastes is speaking from man's standpoint. It's, it's speaking from the always speaks from the standpoint of the earth. So, if you and it's showing what a man who views things from the earth how he sees things, and that's right. In that sense, everything is vanity. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. Uh, so then. You have that, and you left. It's like God. It's, in a way, if you read it, it's like here's a how-to book on how to live a good life. Proverbs, and you walk. It takes you to this place, and you climb it. And you look at the edge of a cliff, and there's nothing. So then what? If you can make that leap across the other side, Kierkegaard, the famous theologian, said, called it the, his famous phrase was the leap of faith. On the other side is what? That's the third book of the three. It's called Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And it's a romance, and it's um, it's about a relationship of a young country girl with a king, and that's the king. It's all allegorical. The king is God, and the young country girl is you and me and everybody listening to this, and we are we're the the humble country girl being wooed by the great king. Praise the Lord! For and that. that's. Wow. That's the meaning of life. So it's not bad to have Proverbs, but it takes you ultimately a lot. Terry Bradshaw, famous quarterback for the Steelers, when he won his first Super Bowl, I remember this, I watched it in the locker room. They said, how do you feel? And he said, I don't know. He said, I just, I can't remember exact words, but it's something like, I just, uh, I just feel kind of empty. We don't have another game next week. And I know when Michael Jordan won one of his many uh, trophies, he once hugged and kissed the trophy. Bradshaw had a different approach. He felt a kind of an emptiness. So success can lead, even if you have Proverbs utterly, it can lead you to this, but this can't be, is that all there is? And then Ecclesiastes takes you even further, where you can feel a little bit despairing. And it is from man's point of view, that's a great point. It's totally, it's exactly the right point. But then you look across, and you do see this thing, this relationship. And that is just a miracle. It's a beautiful thought, and it's the meaning of human life, that we would have a relationship with God. And, so, and some say, and I think this is right, that to enter into that relationship in a meaningful way that you see in the Song of Songs, it's really, it's really our relationship with Christ is just this wonderful love story. Uh, but to enter yeah. into that, the Song of Songs, you really have to see the vanity of vanities. That the world, yes. apart from Christ, is is so vain that well, if, we, okay. if we separate ourselves that's, from Christ, then 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 we just don't really have any meaning to our existence. Yeah. So it is in itself; it's well, negative. But if it brings us to that point, 
where we're willing to open to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you as my Savior and begin to seek him and enter into that relationship, then our life becomes so meaningful and so full of joy and uh, and love and uh, satisfaction is what you see in it. It's a remarkable book because I, I love Schofield's comment uh, about the Song of Songs. Uh, he says, this is in his Schofield Study Bible, he says, nowhere in all of Scripture does the carnal mind tread on ground so incomprehensible as this but to mm. I, I can't quote it exactly but to the but to the spiritual it has always been a source of pure and exquisite delight because it, it shows mm. us god the whole bible is a romance really i mean beginning you have you have the marriage at the beginning with adam and eve at the end of the bible you have the new jerusalem the bride of christ coming down out of heaven from god and in the middle you have this wonderful book that shows us our life should be a, a, a romance where we're entering into this relationship where we just love the Lord. That's the real purpose of our life. That's what our life is really for. Then we found the meaning of life. Yeah, in Ecclesiastes, if we stay there, everything seems pointless. But once we really find the Lord and begin to seek him, then we're really entering into this love relationship. And we know now I know what the meaning of my life really is. Right. But but people well, can't understand yeah, he, why that book's in the Bible. Well, that, that's why. That's why. Well, you know, you talked about you need to. You, I really think this. You need to be brought to that point of Ecclesiastes and um, Shakespeare. I taught English, and I taught a lot of his plays. That's how I knew know his plays. Yeah, I actually so, memorized. So the listeners know you. You taught high school English there in Goshen for how many years was it, Mark? Thirty-three years. Thirty-three years. I yeah. Overseas. Wow. I taught overseas for two years. Okay. Taught English there, so. I, at my early years of teaching, we had we did Macbeth. It was in the curriculum, and um, I had sophomores at the time. And it's hard for kids. It's hard for anyone today to read Shakespeare without help. And so I had a record I got, I bought that was a professional actors just read the they just read the whole play. We'd sit in class. I had four classes, that, a couple of years, four classes doing this every day. And I'd, we'd read through the play together as a group with listening to this record. I'd stop the needle, needle explain, and we'd listen to some more. I'd stop and explain, and we'd ask for questions and so forth. And the kids would always get mad at me for stopping it too much. But if I hadn't stopped it, they wouldn't have known what was going on. But I did that four times a day, and I did that for years. And after that total time of years, I memorized it, virtually memorized the whole play. Because. And I never tried if you want to memorize stuff, just teach and do that, and you'll memorize it. You can't help. You just do. But there's a, a line in Mac, I love Macbeth, and it, but it's dark. And it really, to me, is like Ecclesiastes. And so at the, if you don't know the play, um, he is a guy who becomes king through his wife's prodding. She's really ambitious, and he is too, but she more. And she's willing to do anything to do it. So they get involved in murder, and blood is on her hands, and she, after she convinces him, he's she's the courageous one, and he's the faltering one. But he starts to change, and so does she. And by the end of the play, she's washed, she's sleepwalking, washing her hands to get the blood out. And so he has a doctor and a nurse watch her to to see um, what's going on because she's having a mental breakdown. And he's meanwhile having to fight people against him because everyone's turned against him. This is near the end. And then eventually, the doctor comes and says, "The queen, my lord, is dead." And Macbeth utters 
another beautiful, it's like Ecclesiastes 12, a beautiful passage about the meaninglessness of life. And it goes, I think I can quote it. Out, out, he uses, excuse me, he uses four metaphors for life and how meaningless it is. Now, that song I quoted earlier gave you six metaphors for how purposeful it is. This is four for meaningless. He says, out, out, brief candle. So it's like a candle that's short and it's over. Wow, that's, out, a, out, that's brief, a real metaphor. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A shadow. No substance, no real, just a shadow. The next one. A poor player, a player means actor, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. That's a beautiful metaphor. So it's an actor strutting, oh, he's victorious, I'm the best, and later fretting, oh, they're going to get me. That's what, but after an hour, curtain goes down and then is heard no more. Then the last metaphor is the most striking. He says, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So that's his, the place that Macbeth has come. When his wife dies, he says there's no meaning to life. And he goes on and, well, you should read the play. You should watch the play. It's really a good play and well, very I, revealing. I don't know if you should watch that if you're a person who's all given to depression. It sounds pretty bad. And uh, Well, it's, I, I'm a believer that it's actually, it doesn't have that effect. It, it makes you think. But, he, Shakespeare was, if you read his other plays, you realize this isn't Shakespeare's character. Macbeth isn't speaking Shakespeare's own thoughts. But mm. he shows you Shakespeare has reached, this Shakespeare character has had those thoughts. He understands those thoughts. If you read other plays, he has wholly different thoughts. I believe Shakespeare was a Christian, and I think there's a lot of evidence of that. But um, Well, it certainly sounds like, yeah, the play sounds, you're right, it sounds like Ecclesiastes, that's for sure. And you read, if you, you know, even in Macbeth, it's like the book of Judges, or what's the, uh, Samuel, where where Saul goes to visit some witches. This is exactly what Macbeth does in mm. the play. He talks to witches, and he's ruined by these witches. He calls them in the end, a great line, these juggling fiends. Mm. But he, that's the witches. He tricked them. But he says, well, they'll trick you. It's a warning. The whole play's a warning. Don't listen to the juggling fiends. But I think that he is a deep-souled man, and I believe he, he leaped across that canyon, and he, he landed, because I believe for several reasons he knew Christ. But um, whether I'm right about that or not, I feel like for people who, who sometimes they give their whole life going to church and doing good works and even stuff, and they have touched Christ, but they haven't really seen that he wants to fill us. We are vessels. And when they make that leap, I mean, sometimes you got to be brought to a low point. Uh, Mother Teresa, she went to a dark, to a dark period, and and I think it lasted years. And uh, yeah, a lot she, of people call, Paul life? Bunyan called it the Slough of Despond, right? And the, yeah, Pil Pilgrim's that's right. That's that famous, right. famous phrase, yeah. But that was part of Pilgrim's progress. It's a, it's part of the journey, and. So I think that, you know, I, I really think those three books, it's so important. But when you make that leap, the relationship is the filling of the vessel. It's, that's what it is. And if you look back at Adam and Eve, and you brought them up as a picture from the beginning that God wanted to um, fill us, you know, he made Adam in his image, right? So Adam's a little replica of God. That's what he is. That's what, that's what the Lord you know says what the first... in, in the Gospel of John. He says, I said, you are gods, right? John 11. Sure yeah. So, you know, so he looks you know, at little Adam and Eve, who he pulled out of her, who's a replica of the church. 
she, that's a very whole topic into itself, a beautiful picture. Right. His bride is built. She's built it piece by piece. Adam was formed out of the clay. He's different. But he told this couple, the first commandment, not the first commandment in the Bible is procreate. That's what he wanted. Now, what's that tell you? If Adam's a little picture of God, God's saying, I want to procreate. I want to expand. You, human beings, expand. And that'll be a picture of what I'm doing right now. And this whole human experiment, the whole reason the Bible exists, the whole reason we're here, God is He's doing the miracle of miracles. He's expanding. How can the infinite expand? It's, it's, a, logical, it's a logical conundrum. It's a paradox. The infinite can't get bigger, and yet... God found a way. By, by, fil- by, by filling us with himself, that's what you're saying. He, When he gets into a human being, his life gets into us. In a sense, God has expanded. By, because well, we... don't, you think, don't you think the church is an expansion? Like when Paul met Amen. Yeah. the Lord, on the, when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, he said, who are you, Lord? So he's thinking that God is this infinite, self-contained unit. And God said, I'm Jesus, who you persecute. Well, that who he persecuted was people. The body of so Christ, Jesus yeah. Jesus is saying, they're me. That's the expansion of me. So yes, I fully agree with you that, that the church, the believers, are the expansion of God. We, we, well, that's John the Baptist also. Not... John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must decrease. He really meant that, because he's talking there, he who has yes. the bride is the bridegroom. So the bridegroom, yes. the bride is just the increase of Christ. That's what John is saying. Yes, God is increasing. He wasn't kidding. He really means it, yes. because there's more... Uh, of an expression of who God is once he gets his life inside of us. Yeah, so amen. He's a, God is increasing. Praise the Lord. So this this is, I think, we don't fully appreciate. I don't. A lot of this is still theory to me. But I start, if you really, uh, for the listener who's listening, Dave and I have many phone conversations, and I, Dave is very objective in his view of the truth, and I'm more of a subjective person. That's, that's true. Maybe that by the comes way. through in these conversations, even I don't know. No, that's, that's, but, uh, but just to be clear, that's if, true. So go ahead. If you if you really look at any teaching, any doctrine, any truth in the Bible, even I believe if you look at it long enough, you start to you start to enter something deeper, and you start to actually enter an experience. And so I consider this matter. Years ago, I saw this matter that we are really vessels to contain God. And we are, God wants to expand. And it's, I, I couldn't fathom it, but I thought, this is right. This is the whole picture. But how does it work out in my daily life? I think it does. But it's, you know, it's, it's just, to some degree, a lot of things we have are just theory. But I tell you, if you really muse on it, if you chew on it, you begin to realize that we, I myself, I am an expansion of God. I'm a child of God. Isn't that an expansion? Yeah. Any any time a, a a couple have children, they in a sense they've expanded. Well, the same is true of God. He has, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions and millions of children today because they have His life. They've been filled with the life of God. And even at the Amen. end of the Bible, the New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. So yes, you can absolutely say God has been increased. Praise the Lord for that. In His life and nature, not in His person. To be clear, not talking right. about an, an, an increase in the Godhead, but in his life and nature, he's very much been increased by by the church yeah. as the bride of Christ. Yeah. And yeah, it, well, know, the nature. picture from the very beginning, uh, Eve came out of Adam. Everything Eve was came out of Adam. That She increased Adam. And that, that's the picture yeah. we should get out of that. Yes. And it, it, I think this is a hard concept probably for even a lot of Christians to grasp. But it is the biblical view. God is increasing because he's imparting himself filling human beings with himself. Amen. Amen. 
Well, you know, nature depicts God. I've always thought, some people say God is, is the bug. The God of the Bible has no sense of humor. Oh, they're wrong. All you got to do is look at nature. Nature is a comic book. It's hilarious. Every, every a skunk, you know, a skunk's defense mechanism is to stink up the place. That's funny, because I've known people like that, and I've probably been that person sometimes. You create a, oh, just a bad aura. And all of nature, the defense mechanism, and the way nature reproduces is comical. It's, but, that's, but nature's just a picture of God. Human beings aren't merely a picture of God. We are really God's increase. Amen, Mark. Really so. Amen. Well, that's, I think that's uh, about all the time we have for this segment. But I think hopefully we've gotten this point across. And again, it kind of started with that video, that uh, the four, parable of the four bottles. Uh, that uh, Again, you can see it on fourbottles.org. And this this notion, God wants to fill us with himself. And until that happens, we're just going to sense we're just empty inside. There's just no way around it. We're going to be in the in the realm of Ecclesiastes, like Mark was talking about. And just sensing right, it's exactly. just, just vanity of vanities. But once we open our heart to the Lord, then we enter into the real meaning of our existence. And it's just, frankly, it's just way beyond anything we've ever expected. And uh, so praise the Lord. You know, Dave, let me add to Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, maybe, maybe some final thoughts. Go ahead. Yeah. If you do find yourself in that realm of Ecclesiastes, and just a little while ago I talked to someone my age who said he's in undergoing some kind of a cloud of depression. It was surprising to me, this person. I, I never would have guessed he'd say this after all the years I've known him. And uh, if you find yourself in that point, there's here's a positive way to look at it. You're near that, what I call it, a canyon. And on the other side, Christ, the king, and he wants to woo you. So if you're in that kind of low estate, it's a, in a way a good sign. It means you're very close. To uh, to the to the great leap. You're saying you're, I, and that's really. If you're on the other, if you're in that canyon, you're very close to. Can you repeat that, Mark? Uh, the to, great leap, and that mm-hmm. leap of faith. I said Kierkegaard used that phrase, but it's we do have to take a leap. But I tell you, if once you're in a a, a place where you feel like life is meaningless, um, you have to. You should realize. This, it's like the darkest hour is just before dawn type thing, which, by the way, I checked, and I don't think it's actually true. <laughs> that would huh. But I do, know, I do know that we often fail to succeed because we quit one inch hmm. too soon. Hmm. So when you're, if, you're feeling, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling like life is meaningless, I'm saying on a positive side, actually you're very close to the entire meaning to filling up the vessel of your life with real meaning. Amen, Mark. That's very good. Yeah, amen. I think that's a, a good way to end this segment because we, we don't want to end with the hopelessness, but with the hope that what a person can find when they open their heart to the Lord and find out what their life is really all about. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Mark, so much. Hello and welcome back to the live uh, program uh, Saturday morning on August 27th. Um, we just have a few minutes left. I, I really enjoyed that conversation with Mark last night. I think it really brought out a lot of the points and strengthened a lot of the points that we've been making here about the meaning of life. Uh, so far, most of what we've been saying has to do uh, with 
uh, those who haven't yet believed in Christ and really found the meaning of life. But in the few minutes we have left, I want to speak something that more applies to believers today about this, this same analogy about the purpose of life. Because I think a lot of believers seem to have the concept that the focus of the Christian life is dealing with our sin and uh, how, how God cleanses us. And in other words, to go back to the analogy, the, the, the focus is how can I be a clean bottle? I want to be a clean bottle. But God's focus is not on the clean bottle. His focus is on giving us his divine life, giving us his glory. Whenever you have the life along with it, there's a glory that goes with that life. And that should be our focus too. Now, Romans chapter 3, 23 is, uh, chapter 3, verse 23 is really a key verse in the New Testament. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And of course, Romans is a key book that shows us about what God's salvation really is. Well, in this verse, we see we have two fundamental problems. One is the problem that we've sinned. The other problem is that we fall short of the glory of God. And as Christians, we have to realize that. The fundamental problem I have is not just dealing with sin, is I fall short of the glory that God wants to give me. And so we should have the concept, I'm not just a trying to be a clean bottle. I want the Lord to fill me with his life so I express something of who God is. That's when our Christian life really becomes meaningful. If we just focus on the clean bottle, then uh, it, that, that becomes a little bit annoying, frankly. You know, I'm better than you because I'm clean and you're all dirty. That's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's really not where the kind of realm we should be in. When we realize the purpose for me being cleaned uh, and forgiven, cleansed and forgiven by God by the death of Christ is for me to receive this divine life so that I begin to express something of who God is. Then we, then we realize as Christians, then we realize now I know what my Christian life is really for. Now I know what my Christian life is really all about. And we see that all through the New Testament. And, and eventually in the, in, at the very end of the New Testament, it says the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. That's uh, Revelation 21, verses 10 and 11. That's what God is really after. And that's when our Christian life becomes so meaningful. And I'm just concerned, look, because like I say, I think so many Christians don't see that. They see the, the need to have our sins forgiven, but they don't realize we are vessels made to contain God's glory, uh, God's life in his glory. And that's what God is really after. And that's when God's purpose is really being fulfilled. And uh, so again, if you have the chance, I'd, I'd encourage you to go out to fourbottles.org. And, uh, and watch the video. It's only three minutes. And if you can, use the opportunity to share it with others, too. I think it's a very good way to present the gospel. Thank you, and Lord willing, we will be with you again next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.